For We Teach Me, this is the Masters Series, where industry professionals share their secrets to business success. I'm Sarfaz Shenalmish from Written and Recorded. As a first-time founder myself, I can tell you there is plenty that you need to know before you get your business underway. In fact, as has been said before on this podcast, if you knew everything that's involved in founding a business, you might actually choose not to. So we started working on the project and then we, it was time to get our first payment from the investment. The payment didn't come. And we're like, mm, it's not good. A month later, payment still didn't come. So when we kept approaching the guy for payment, he got done for embezzlement. His actually business was taking money and using the money to pay other people. So he wasn't paying no shit. And Ross had just left his job. We still had our services side going and we're pretty staffed. That's David Fastuka, co-founder of Ambisi. We'll hear how he got his startup back on track very soon. First up, Ben Z, co-founder of Ed Rollo. Ben was working as an investment manager and tutoring high school students when he saw an opportunity to create an education technology company. So he rounded up a couple of his mates, they all chucked in their jobs and Adrollo was born. Ben outlines the key things to focus on as a first time founder and provides a masterclass in managing your time. So, a bit about Ed Rollo. Our mission is to improve education. We're very, very passionate about it. We're starting by building educational resources for high schools in Australia, but that's not what we're going to be doing forever. We've got very ambitious goals, including going global. We partner with master teachers to create online courses that are mapped to the syllabus. We've also got a lot of formative assessment interactive elements to our resource, so it's not just a static watch a video type thing. Students get some amazing feedback through that in terms of how they're going as well. But one of the most important things that schools love about us is that we provide a lot of pre-populated data for them to actually differentiate their teaching practice without having to populate data in an Excel spreadsheet. And excitingly, we're actually also, while we are, we call ourselves an ed tech company, uh, we're actually printing books. So we're going back to the future there. Uh, we started with three co-founders, myself, Duncan and Jeremy. In 2013, we got into Startmate, which is a fantastic program, and that was an enabler for us to actually work full-time on Edrollo and uh, have the guts to leave our full-time jobs. And two years after that, we raised the Series A led by Airtree Ventures and Blackbird Ventures, and now we're in over 700 schools, and we've got a team of over 80. We love what we're doing. We're a fun bunch of people. So, taking the leap. I recommend that you keep a full-time job if you can and moonlight on your startup to get started. Um, it also has a benefit of not having to worry about your cash flow situation, which can be very stressful. We had a period where we weren't paying ourselves anything and it was very tough. I guess a downside to that would be you're stretched a bit thin and you don't learn as fast. But in my experience, I found that doing it that way really helped. You need a support network. There are dark days and bright days in life when you're starting a startup and they're, I believe, amplified. I feel like you feel things a lot more. And I truly believe that life's moments are better shared. So please make sure you have a support network there because you are going to have some dark days and you'll need to be able to get through them. And also some bright days that you want to share amazing things. Next thing is your co-founders really matter. We're still working together on Ed Rollo. We've got a fantastic working relationship, but it didn't just happen. We worked at it. So although we were friends when we initially started, we decided that we would actively work on our relationship, which I encourage everyone to do with any important relationship in your life. And we're seeing the benefits of it. So 
the way we did that was we actually did regular feedback sessions with each other, uh, really candid sessions. The first ones were pretty tame and easy on each other, but they got a lot more brutal. And now we're at a stage where we're literally giving brutal feedback nicely in a live setting. It's an amazing thing. Next thing is culture. You know, when you're starting something, it might be just you and your co-founder, maybe two other people, you might have team five, but it's super, super important. And it actually is like a bacteria culture in a Petri dish in that it starts really small, but that's the beginning of your culture at your startup. We've made the mistake of, for example, with people that are no longer working with the roller because it wasn't the right thing for them or us, and they weren't right culturally aligned with our values and the way we want to do things. But yeah, you kind of set the tone for what's to come. Focus is extremely important. Personally, I have ideas running my head nonstop, and I have to remind myself to be focusing on one thing at a time. Otherwise, if you focus on too much, you're going to do a bad job across many things as opposed to a good job of one thing. It's hard. This is really hard, but try and focus. You should be embarrassed about your first product and any release that you have, actually. We're not technically gifted, so we relied on a web design agency to begin with. Now, the underlying content was fantastic. It just didn't look good. So be embarrassed. I am. <laughs> Next thing, cash is king. I don't think we thought enough about this to begin with. Maybe we did inherently, but not purposefully, and I would encourage you to purposely think about it because you don't want to be caught in a situation where you're up against a wall and running out of cash. And that's a terrible thing for you and your business and the people in it. A couple of bits of advice, know your ins and outs very well, but also model out different scenarios. And the easiest way to do that is to do three types of scenarios. A base case scenario, which you think, what's your best guess of what will happen? Do a bull case, which is if everything went well, what would happen? And a bear case, which is uh, what if everything bad happens. It really helps with your planning. So cash is king. Uh, reading. I wish I did a lot more of this because it's better to learn from other people's mistakes than make them yourself. At a Roller, we do a monthly book club, so we do a lot of reading at the company. And personally, I get a lot of mine from audiobooks and podcasts uh, and some physical books. Uh, time. Actually, understanding how to spend your time is very, very powerful. I use a tool called Toggle. It's free. Uh, you can use a Google Sheet. But I know day by day how much time I've spent actually on work. So this excludes lunch breaks, toilet breaks, all that sort of stuff. So I get a sense of how many hours I'm working a day, and if I'm feeling burnt out, maybe it's because I worked a 13-hour day. But it goes even deeper than that. Depending on how you bucket your time sheet, you can actually see which sort of areas of the business are sucking up your time. So I know now that email, on average, takes between three to five hours of my week. So I need to set aside that time, and I, I can't do anything about that. It's just a reality. So in this case, as part of my planning process, I said I'd spend two hours on this part of expanding into New South Wales, but I ended up spending close to seven but I've got a live understanding of, should I be spending more than two hours on this? And in this case, I obviously thought I should be. So first order impact of time tracking is that you actually get to see where your time is being spent. Second or consequences, there's good and bad. Good is that you can be very critical of disruption. So if an email comes in you think is important, but you're working on something that is more important, you can actually say, actually, no, I'm not going to reply to that email, or I'm not going to reply to that Slack message because I need to focus. Next thing is it enables you to reflect on your week. You can actually get to see patterns that I told you, for example, how much time I spend in email, and you can plan better. The one thing to look out for, you're focusing on output, and that might detract from the fun you're having. So just keep that in mind if you do start tracking your time. You have fun while you're spending time on your startup. So if we track our time, we can actually make a really strong roadmap on how we're going to spend our time for the next three months. You learn what's possible to achieve, and you can align that to your goals. I love this quote, if you fail to plan, you plan to fail. 
It's so true. You could be spinning wheels on things that mean nothing to you or your business uh, so easily. So be aware that that can happen. So what we do is, within all our teams, an individual contributor sends an email to their team with a reflection. So that goes out every week. And at the top of that email, there's a high-level plan of what they're trying to achieve. And a plan is actually most beneficial to the person writing it. But you will get a lot of benefit out of it. So knowing what you'd need to do at a high level, I know I refer back to this to remind myself every day. And then there's the detailed plan. So what does that break down into? And with time allocations on where I'm going to spend the time. Then we take it a step further in blocking out time in our calendars. This is hit and miss. Some people do it, some people don't. It just depends on how the flow works. But a lot of people do block out time for the things that they say they're going to do. And that helps you protect your time. By sending this email, we're actually encouraging vulnerability, which is an amazing thing because it fosters trust. Now we're a team of 70 or 80 plus people. It's just a beautiful thing to see from the sidelines now, all these different people across the business really sharing and offering support and to help each other. I couldn't be prouder of that fact. Initially, we reflect on our motivation levels. Now, five is average. So anything plus or minus one is, we could say, one standard deviation plus or minus, and then plus or minus two. So you, to be a seven, you've, something's really got to be going well. To be a three, there's obviously something bad, but it's a good signal to this individual's manager to talk about in their one-on-one, -on -one or their team members to reach out, like, hey, can I help you with that deadline? I can push stuff aside. So motivation and basically why. Then we reflect on our performance and deep dive into what we learnt from the week and try not to make the same mistake into the future. And also think about in the context of the plan we set for ourselves. Do we do what we say we do, essentially? And as soon as you write a plan, I should just make this clear, it's probably defunct. But without it, you don't know where you're going. So curveballs come up, but at least you've got a plan to refer back to to say, should I let that curveball actually affect what I said I would do this week? We've also added a couple of other things where we get people to reflect on their enjoyment and also the stress levels they're feeling. So we've got a good couple of markers on how people are feeling. So the effects of that is that you actually have clarity around how you can achieve your weekly goals and therefore your three-month goals. Uh, this is what we do at Edrollo. We believe that time is super, super precious. So start tracking your time and actually see uh, where you're spending your time. You'll be amazed. You don't need to do it in a complex way. Just start by bucketing it, email, admin, just buckets and see where your time's going. And do it for a week or two weeks, but don't give up. So thank you so much for your time. Well, that's an elaborate way to manage your time. I've been tracking my time and it's very revealing and only slightly alarming. Great idea. Thanks, Ben. Next up, strap yourself in for the wild experiences of first-time founder David Festuka. Master Series is presented by We Teach Me. Jumpstart your creative side and learn to make, bake or partake at a face-to-face -face class near you. Rev your creative engine at weteachme.com. This podcast is produced by Written and Recorded. As journalists for hire, Written and Recorded will chase down your story, one that you might not even realise is there. Don't bury your headline, find your story at writtenandrecorded.com. And now, back to the podcast. Thanks, Ad Guy. 
David Fastuka is the co-founder of MBC, a business that puts entrepreneurs in front of school students to broaden their horizons. David was an early starting founder, setting up his first design business at the age of 14. Since then, he has reinvented his business several times over and learned many lessons along the way. David says the only thing we have to fear as founders is failure. And if that happens, well, we're lucky enough to live in a country where you can just go and get a job. So it started when I was 14. Uh, I was in high school and I just loved design. So any minute I had, I was designing things for friends and family. I was taking on little jobs on the side and I thought I'd start a business. I thought, oh, I'll just go get a logo, business cards, I've got a business. Until I spoke with my cousin, Ross, who I've been working with for the last 18 years together. He was like, what are you doing, you idiot? He goes, you just got business cards and you're infringing on someone else's name that you just made up. At that time, too, Ross is three years older than me and he was doing the first multimedia design course in Australia. So we decided to put our skills together. I was the design guy and Ross was the front end the, uh, code guy. So after school, on weekends, we'd go to his parents' house, kitchen table, and we'd do work for friends and family. And we did that for about five or six years until I went to university and continued on with our little business. The name changed from the first name, you're gonna laugh, it was called Cuz Design, because we're cousins. <laughs> Great branding. And so we slowly built up the company and we got to a stage where we started to take things a bit more seriously. So I had finished university, Ross at that stage had got a job in IT and we're still working together. And I made friends with another graphic designer who couldn't do any of the online work, so he gave that all to us. And that was enough to pay myself full time and to do that as a full time gig. And then we had an opportunity to join this group and they're in education. The whole idea was to join with these guys and to have the opportunity to grow with them and that would give us exposure to thousands of people within the education space. Things started to grow a bit more and then we had an idea of getting to a product. At that stage, we were still doing the services, web design, freelancer came onto the market. So they started to cut into a lot of the sort of level of work that we were getting into. People were able to get it done a lot cheaper. So Ross and I wanted to build a product and build a, a product team and we had an idea to build something in, in education. And we pitched it to a friend of ours at that time who was seemingly quite uh, successful himself. And he loved the idea and he said, yep, I would invest, I'll give you half a mil. And we're like, perfect, great. Like we were thinking I was 19 at the stage. So we're like, this is easy. Ross quit his job. So we started working on the project and then we, it was time to get our first payment from the investment. Payment didn't come. And we're like, hmm, this is not good. A month later, payment still didn't come. So when we kept approaching the guy for payment, he got done for embezzlement. His actually business was taking money and using the money to pay other people. So he wasn't paying no shit. And Ross had just left his job. We still had our services side going and we're pretty staffed because we're like, well, that was just enough to keep me going. And we just sat there one day just in shock and we're like, hindsight kicks in. We should have asked for money at the start and we were young and we were so excited that this was an opportunity. And it was just all came crashing down. Was that the closest point that you came to maybe calling it a day at that point? Oh, no. There's like another 20 times <laughs> after that. So at that stage, just went, look, we're still young. We're living at home. And we're like, we'll split everything that we're doing at the stage and we'll build it back up. And we did. 
so we built it back up, you know, our service side of the business. We started taking on bigger paid jobs. And then the iPhone came out and the app Gold Rush. So we had an idea for an app. Throughout those years, we had other crazy ideas. We started a clothing brand, Veiled. We started uh, an e-commerce sort of brand. And this is before Amazon, before Shopify. And we went down all the bridge road to all the brick and mortar stores and we're saying, we'll put your store online and people can buy your stuff and you can ship it out to them. We got laughed out of, out of everyone. So I think the takeaway from that is timing. It was a great idea and we didn't persist with it and like, idiots, it could have been Amazon. But it's like the timing was too early for that sort of thing. So we had a few things like that that just started up and failed. Friends of ours ran a nightclub in Muni Ponds in the west of Melbourne and did really well and then an opportunity came up for a larger space and we we're friends with them and we became really good at marketing and brand and they approached us to join them in this new bar and we thought nightclub we're young this is, could be cool but we thought the intention was do that it won't be too much work and we'll get a lot of cash and we can hire people for the engineering effort to build the apps the ideas that we had and that was another stupid mistake. We learned some great things, but we ended up working two full-time jobs. We're going from nine to five, Monday to Friday, in our web design marketing business, to then nightclub owners, Thursday, Friday, Saturday. So we're doing like 90, 100 hour weeks. The first six months were amazing of the bar. Things were working. It was a cash cow. We're about to start hiring. And then almost like good old Game of Thrones, winter came. <laughs> We were doing so well that the local competition around the area weren't too happy. So, look, that's another whole story. The nightclub scene is something that you know, is a unique field. And I was, at that stage, about to get married and we're going to start a family. And I would just be an absentee father. And I just was hating life. And we got real depressed. So from nights where we have, like, the bar was licensed for 800 and we had about 1,800 in on some nights. So breaking rules, as you do in those early days. To nights where, I kid you not, we had like five people come through. I was at the door some nights, and my now wife was at the door, and my cousin and his fiance, very family business, broke your heart. Like, we took it very personally. So it came to a moment where we were doing these stupid hours, weren't getting much money, things were falling apart, because Ross got distracted because he had to, and he was dealing with all the nightclub stuff spending Mondays and Tuesdays at the police station because of incidents that were happening at the bar. And then I was there trying to keep the business alive, and so it was mental. So was that a catalyst for focusing on something more true to your heart at that point? That was a reset moment. I'll never forget the chat we had. And we looked at each other and we're like, are we going to give this another crack? Or are we just going to go get full-time jobs, work half as much, and probably earn more? We always look at the worst case scenario. And anything that we do, we're like, what is the worst that can happen? And we are very fortunate here in this beautiful country. We can easily take a chance, and if all fails, you can go back and get a job. And it's until we experience other cultures and other countries, we are so lucky that we can do that, and do that relatively easily. So to take a chance to go and pursue a passion, to pursue a dream, it's a privilege that we all have. If we don't do that, if we don't take that chance, then it's like, why are we living for? To help someone else's life? Like, if you've got a dream, if you've got a burning desire, we can all take that chance because the worst case scenario ain't that bad. So we sat down and we, and we had that chat with each other and we're like, let's give it another crack. We went to an event and we met these two guys who were doing an anti-energy drink. 
So it was like a relaxing drink, called Esk, Calm in a Can. Two awesome guys, we sat next to them, we hit it off. So they were bringing this product to market, it was the first in Australia, it was big in the US. They had investment to produce the product because it's quite a, it cost a lot of money to bring something like that out. But they didn't have any money for the marketing, for the branding, for the, the digital sign. So at that stage, we had a bit of spare time as we are rebuilding the business. And we said, well, if we put a few days to this project, rather than charging you, we'll take a dollar a can of everything we sell online. They loved it because it's like, well, it's a win-win for them. They get a business, an online thing, and we get an opportunity to potentially make more money than what we're going to charge them. Little did we know that they told their investor that these two crazy idiots were going to put in all their time for potentially selling their drinks online and making some money back. He loved it. He was like, these guys are putting skin in the game. Little did we know that they were getting quotes for 100 grand, 150 grand to bring their business online. So instantly that investor wanted to meet with us. We connected really well. And look, Ross and I always had the belief that we could do anything. We just need the opportunity. We didn't have the network. We didn't have the people around us at that stage. Entrepreneurship wasn't even really a word back then. It was just like we did businesses because our family, our dads started businesses. So we thought that that was what you did. But entrepreneurship and all that sort of rage and that word, I don't think we even heard it back then. So we met with this guy. We connected instantly and he worked out of this mansion in St Kilda. It was like your first sort of co-working space, but it was just the businesses that he was involved with. So he invited us over and he said, look, move in here, rent free, and we'll see what happens. I like you guys, I like you back yourselves, you've got great work ethic, and let's see what happens. And then that was the moment that changed a lot of things for Ross and I, because that's when opportunities started to happen, and that was where Locomote was born out of in that stage. What was then your main focus at that time? Did you have to really fine tune what you were working on at that time? Because we've been burnt in the past, our focus was still split. So. Locomote was a corporate travel platform, so businesses, when they need to travel interstate or internationally, would use a platform like ours to get approvals and to book their trips. Think of it like Webjet, but for corporates. At that stage, it was still very early. We hadn't really proven the model. All we really did was a pitch deck, and we started to get some sales in before we wrote a loan of code. But even still, then, Ross and I were hesitant to let go of all the work that we built on the side. So I think it was in 2011, 12, that summer, if you visited locomote.com, you'd see branding, websites, marketing, corporate travel software. You know, so the split was there. When we changed and when we really focused was probably when we started to hire engineers into the company to focus on Locomote. And then we just went, you know what, we can't do this no more, splitting our focus, because I was running that while Ross was focusing on the product side and I was doing all the design work for the product side. So we thought, you know, here's our chance. We've got an opportunity. We've said for years ago, we want to work in a product and build a team around that and try and build a global business out of it. Here's our opportunity. Let's take a gamble. So what we end up doing is cutting loose of all these other clients who have been with us since we were 14, some of them. And that was a big moment because it was, it was a big decision to make. Because once you cut them and sell them off to someone else, you can't go back to that. But that was the moment where we focused on the software product. So can you talk a little bit about where you are today, your day-to-day -day activities? Yeah, sure. So we exited Locomote in uh, August of this year and then just went straight into a new business. It happened over a period of time. A friend of ours, the co-founder of Ambezi, Liz, approached us in January with an idea and she'd been running Project Gen Z, who's a social enterprise, 
and what they do is they run programs within schools and teach the students life skills and entrepreneurship. And then once a year, she'll get 20 entrepreneurs from Australia and business owners and takes them to Cambodia. And we go to the Sunrise Village, which is a youth village, and we would share our stories, our skill sets, and then over the last three days run an apprentice challenge, like the TV show. And what she found, she's been doing it for four years now, was that the storytelling part, when we got up and when we shared our story, that had a lot of impact on the students. It gave them motivation and inspiration. But the issue was, being an event-based type business, it was hard to scale. So when she approached Ross and I, it was more just to get some ideas on how she could build something in a technology way, because she knew that was our experience, on how to have more scale in that. And look, we've got kids, I've got three, Ross has got two. It's something that sort of struck a chord with us. And as we spoke to more and more people, Everyone kept saying, look, I wish I had something in school that gave me more exposure to different careers and shared more stories. Because when you're a young person, you don't have a network like we do now. And even now, we struggle to build big networks. So it's like, how could we put that on tap for a young person when they're studying from grade six? So the idea sort of simmered away, and then it turned into what it is now, Mbizi. And Mbizi is the South African word for ambition. And what we're trying to do with Mbizi is connect students with local talents, but not just local, but from people from all over the world, where they share their stories, they share what their education life was like, they share what their journey was like from school to get into the career they are now, to help inspire them, to motivate them, so now our youth can follow their passion. And we're delivering that in a video model that schools can subscribe to and share with their students. And just a little bit about time management. So now are you able to manage your time more effectively? Can you talk a little bit about work-life balance for you and what that looks like? So jealous after looking at Ben's <laughs> process and how strict that is. At the moment now, in your early days, you're wearing so many hats. We're very fortunate that we've got three very capable founders with very different skill sets. So now we're dividing and conquering in each different area. There's a lot of trust between us three. We've known each other for a long time, especially Ross and I. So now we're just trying to set ourselves like a sort of weekly sort of goals. We touch base every week as to what we're doing, who needs help. But it's still, at the moment, finding your feet, because right? it's those early days. We still don't know the right sort of growth model yet, what's going to work. It's a lot of trial and error, but we're accepting of that. Are we patient? Probably not. It's a hard thing to be patient, but we just know that this is part of the journey. We're giving ourselves a good timeline to get to where we want to get to, and we're just trying to get there as fast as we can. So guys, can we have a round of applause for David Fastuco of Ambizi? Wow, David's founder life sounds a bit like a roller coaster, though it does sound like the ups are outnumbering the downs, which is good news. Thanks, David, and thank you, Ben. Next time on Master Series, we'll wrap up the year with the intriguing phrase, if I had known then, what I know now. As I said at the beginning of this episode, several of our speakers have said if they knew what was involved in setting up a business, they may have kept their day jobs. We'll hear from a couple of founders who regret nothing about starting up, but they might have some good advice for their former selves. Until then, I'm Sadhu Shenanmish from Written and Recorded, and for We Teach Me, this is the Masters Series.